exciting day for us as Christians as we celebrate another year of the tomb being empty. The message I have for you today is called The Tomb is Empty, Now What? So not a necessarily traditional Christ, or a Easter... See, I did it too, Jana. Oh, she's gone, huh? Don't feel bad. Easter message. We start off really with the Easter story, and then we're going to move on into the book of Acts where the, the church finds its beginning. And I think it's important that as we, as we talk about the tomb being empty, the, the implications of that matter. What's the point? Right? The tomb's empty, so, so now what do we do? And for us as Christians, we have plenty of work to do. So I want to start in the Gospel of John. This story will sound familiar. This is probably what you generally hear at a traditional Easter service. John chapter 20, being in verse 11. It says this, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Mary's there because she's one of the faithful ones who shows up early Sunday morning, not expecting the tomb to be empty, of course, but expecting to continue the burial process of putting spices on the body of Jesus. She gets there, the stone's been rolled away, and Jesus is gone. And her first thought isn't, he's alive. Her first thought is, someone came and stole him. So she's grieving, as you see that here, right? As she's crying, she's grieving, thinking to herself, they won't even let him rest in peace. Someone's come and it's bad enough that they beat him, bad enough that they crucified him, now they won't even let him be dead here with us. There's two angels seated inside the tomb. She doesn't know they're angels. They ask her why she's crying, and her response is, they've taken my Lord away. She hears something or sees something out of her peripheral vision and turns around and sees Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus because she's not thinking he's going to be up and walking around. And this is how the story continues in verse 15 through 18. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. I love this section because it shows us her heart. I'm guessing Mary is smaller than Jesus. I don't know how big she is, and I don't know how big Jesus was. My bet is she's probably a smaller frame than him. And there's probably no real earthly way she's going to be able to take the dead body of Jesus and carry it anywhere. She might be able to drag it for a little while on smooth ground. That's level. But her heart doesn't connect with the brain here, does it? She doesn't care that physically she probably can't move the body of Jesus or carry the body of Jesus. Her heart says, wherever you've put him, I'll go get him and I'll bring him back myself. And then something powerful happens in verse 16 when Jesus simply speaks her name. It says this, Jesus said to her, Mary. And when he speaks her name, it clicks. He's not the gardener. He's not a stranger. It's Jesus. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She goes, in just a few verses, from complete sorrow and grief to complete joy and disbelief. He's alive. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father 
and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the, to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. long that we have this guest here, but this person is a really, really important uh, guest, important part of Preston School. Uh, if we could have the guest come forward. I said I depended on what what Harold would have done. Probably I asked Jimmy to do, like just before. Oh, where did you come from? <laughs> oh my goodness! Have you reached you? You oh, thank you. When did you get in? Last night. Huh? Last night. Why did you call me last night? Cause you told me I could. cry at church today, did you? The reason I chose that video is I believe it's the closest thing we'll ever get to resurrection in life. See, when the family members of someone who goes a long ways away to fight for our country, let them go, they never know if they'll see them again. And not just a lie, but they never know if they'll see them again. The reality is, is when you go to war, and sometimes you're killed, there's sometimes there's nothing left. <laughs> 
And so what you got to witness there was three daughters and a mother receiving someone back from the dead. If you heard the second daughter, she said as she puts her head in her father's shoulder, you're not supposed to be here. What do you think Mary thought when she turns around, thinking Jesus is the gardener, he says her name, and she realizes that it's Jesus. She don't think she's thinking you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be in there. It's resurrection. It's powerful, isn't it? As the first Christians are figuring out how to live post-resurrection, we read in Acts chapter 2 this. It begins in verse 42. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. example we have in Acts chapter 2 is community, is it not? That's what you're reading there. It might not use the word community, but that's it. That's what it looks like. It's people who take care of each other. It's family. That's what family is supposed to be. What family is supposed to do is no matter what, even when we're upset, maybe we don't agree, maybe we don't like how our family member is acting, we show up and we're there. And it's the example we have from these first Christians. As they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, which, how do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? The fellowship, to breaking of bread, which not only is a meal, but probably what we just did here, communion, and to prayer. If you notice these, if you're paying attention as we go through Acts chapter 2, this is how we structure Sunday mornings. What do we do? It's Acts chapter 2, is it not? We pray. We open the book. We fellowship and we commune together. We take communion. Verse 44 tells us that all the believers were together and had everything in common. What you're going to notice is the language is big and wide, isn't it? All, every. It's because they're coming together as one, are they not? Unifying themselves under the flag of Jesus and the fact that the tomb is empty. Verse 45, it tells us they're even selling their own possessions to make sure that the, their neighbor, their brother or sister in Christ, has what they need, taking care of each other. And if you notice, at the end of verse 47, look who's doing the growth, by the way. This is where we've missed the boat when it comes to church growth. Is the moment we think we're going to add a soul to heaven is the moment we need to step back and reevaluate. Verse 47, they're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And who's added to their numbers every day? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It wasn't them. It wasn't because they had a sweet program. They had shiny lights at a smoke machine. Blows your mind, I know. Not because they had the biggest flat screen TVs. Or the best worship team. It's because they were faithful. And when you're faithful, God will do his part. The rest of that stuff is fluff. 
It's the cherry on top. But in the end, it doesn't matter. What the world needs to see is people who live like the tomb is empty. It's what the world needs to see. It's on us to do that and to create this. wondering what Acts chapter 2 looks like in flesh and blood, you just saw it. That was on a New York City subway many years ago, where a homeless man, we assume a homeless man, was on the bus, or on the, the train, excuse me, in the wintertime. It's rather cold in New York City in the wintertime. He had shoes and pants, but no shirt or hat. And so somebody else, as you saw, a young man, on the train thought that was just unacceptable. And so he took, literally, the shirt off of his own back and the hat off of his own head. And what I think is so impressive about that video isn't just what he's doing, it's how he does it. If you notice, when he went to give the man the shirt and the man couldn't lift his arms up, he didn't throw the shirt on him and walk away saying, he's a homeless man, I don't really want to touch him. But he put it over, the shirt over his head and then helped guide his arms through the holes and then when he came back to, put, to give him the hat, he realized he couldn't put the hat on his head, so what did he do? Put it on for him. Now, you can probably tell it was shot by a cell phone. The man had no idea he was being recorded, which makes it even better because we know it comes from the heart. But if what you're looking for is that the tomb is empty, now what? That's a pretty good example of it, isn't it? If we pay attention to the needs of the people around us and we meet those needs whenever we possibly can, even if it means a cold ride from the train home. To pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, this is going to sound similar to what we've been reading in Acts chapter 2. In chapter 4, verse 32, it says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shed everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to, go figure, what we're here for, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. What we all want in life is a shot. But what we do with it, that's the story we all want to tell. You know, I've coached for 25 years and I've never experienced that, uh, you know, the emotional high of, of what happened. What happened for Jason McElwain, or JMAC as his friends call him, is about more than a shot. Diagnosed with autism at two years old, now identified as highly functioning, he's never considered himself different or separate, especially when it comes to sports. Sports has always been, how could I say, his equalizer. He's like, just like any of the other kids out there. It, it's not really a big deal at all. I'm just, I'm just normal like other people. It's the way I am. At five foot six, J-Mac didn't make the junior varsity basketball team at his high school. Greece Athena near Rochester, New York. Instead, he became team manager, a role he now has for the varsity as a senior. In the last three years, in his white shirt and black tie, he's missed only one game. During practice, I set up the clock and get the water in games and be enthusiastic. <laughs> as this season was wrapping up, Coach Johnson approached Jason with an idea about the Trojans' final home game of the season. I said, you know, I'm really going to look to try to get you in the game, but remember, I can't promise you that. And he goes, okay, Coach. February 15th, Greece Athena against Spencerport, senior night. With word out that Jason might play, the student section printed signs of J-Mac's face, just in case. And with 4.19 left in the game, with the Trojans up by 20. Coach called down to the end of the bench for number 52. I just kind of turned and pointed at him and uh, he almost ran right on the court. He was so excited. Hey Jay, you gotta check in. So he hits the buzzer and he doesn't go anywhere. It's like now you go on the court. You know, he was so he was so caught up in the moment. He came into the game, they all stood up and they put the signs, uh, you know, the pictures of him up, and I got really emotional. And I sat down and started to cry. With 3.46 left, Jason got the ball. When he missed that first three, I was like, oh. And then it airballed, and I was like, man, I really just want to see him score one time. I put my head in my hands like, dear God, please, let's just get him a basket. Then, with 3.12 left, another chance. That third trip down the court, magic. As soon as I started hitting my first shot, I just kept shooting, and I was just hot as a pistol. Shot after shot after shot kept going in. The basket was like this big old huge bucket, and uh, I was shooting like they were free throws. It was just a big old huge bucket that's like huge. And I was like, Oh my God, is this really happening? He has more than more points than me, so he's got bragging rights over me. He was unstoppable for that moment in time. He was unstoppable. He comes down the court right at the end with like 
three seconds left and he hits this one that's, you know, probably like an NBA three. As soon as the gun ended, they stormed the court. You know? I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't dream anything like that. It felt like we won a championship. Everyone's just so happy for me. In that four minutes, 19 seconds, Jason was seven for 13, six of 10 from three-point range, 20 points in all. In his first and only varsity basketball game, J-Mac was the high scorer. Truly the most incredible moment I've ever had in coaching. I was so touched and um, it, it was just so special to me that a young man, his dream came true, you know, and that I could help that, it was awesome. What we all want in life is a shot. J-Mac took his. And now, it's a story we can all tell. Boy, did he take it. When you live like the tomb is empty, anything's possible. We read in Acts chapter 4, was about a man named Joseph, who the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means... Son of encouragement. If you're going to get a nickname, that's a good one to have, by the way. Later on in the book of Acts, you'll come to realize that if it wasn't for Barnabas, the apostle Paul may never have been, because he's the one who gives him his start, and they tour on the first missionary trip together. Turns out we need Barnabases, don't we? What you saw there was a coach who's a bit Barnabas, don't you think? A coach willing to give a kid a shot rewarding faithfulness. We couldn't make the team. Took him on as manager. And when, Jace, when old J. Matt got his shot, he made it count, didn't he? Tom Rinaldi, who voiced, voiced that for ESPN, who does such a wonderful job, said there at the end, we all just want a shot. You have your shot. Are you going to take it? The tomb is empty. We've already won the game. You have nothing to lose. So start shooting threes. Even the last one there, J-Mac, NBA style, right? And drains it. What I love about that video is if you take your, I've watched it enough times now, where I don't watch the court, I watch around the court. You know what you saw is a room full, a gym full of people celebrating not their own success, but the success of someone else. The student section, as you saw in the back right of, of the frame, with their J-Mac signs, face, his face plastered on a stick. Did you notice the cheerleaders and the other kids on the team, there wasn't a one of them sitting by the end, was there? That's what we're supposed to be, is cheering each other on, is being there to pick each other up when we fall, dust each other off, and get back at it again. What we're looking for is community, is it not? That's what we see from the first Christians in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4. We see community at its best. If we want to make an impact for Jesus in this world, I think we can do it, just like they did. 
As the old song goes, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Not our political beliefs. We all have them. Not by how you dress on Sundays or what job you have or the car you drive or where you live or the size of your home. They'll know we're Christians by our love. The world needs it now, just like it always has, by the way. Christians to be faithful to God and to love people right where they are, knowing that God can take anyone, anytime, anywhere, and do amazing things with that person, including us. In a world and in a country right now that seems to be dividing ourselves in any way we know how, let's refuse to do that. Pledge our allegiance first and foremost to Jesus. Everything else comes second. Let's unite ourselves in him and watch what this world will become. We put him first. And we're faithful to him. He will work out the rest, won't he? See, he's never failed in his promises. And he never will pray. Father in heaven, we are in awe of you and who you are and all that you do for us. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit now and always, that you would help us to leave here today and live as though the tomb is empty because it is. God, would you put all the periphery, all the small things, would you help us to set those things aside and concentrate on you and what's important most. And God, we would ask that you would help us every day and every week as we gathered to, to do our best to recreate that community we find in the book of Acts. To care for each other, to be there for each other, to encourage one another, to support each other, to cry with each other, to laugh with each other. Father, we're convinced that what the world needs is you. And if we can point just one person to you, it will be a life well lived. So God, please just help us to live as though it's true, because we know it is. It's been almost 2,000 years, and the tomb is still empty. And it always will be. That because that tomb is empty, you have given us a life that we could never have without it. You have forgiven our sins once and for all and promised us a future. Would you help us to take the hope that we have and give it to others who are in desperate need of it? God, we thank you and we love you. We pray all this in the powerful and healing name of your son Jesus and all God's people said. Amen.